Have you been blessed this morning? God is on the move in this congregation. I can see it. I sense a revival stirring. Uh, just seeing the way God moves and how each church service, God is doing something different, something unexpected sometimes. Uh, and when, when God moves in unexpected ways, we have to be ready for it. We have to be willing to move with Him and willing to follow His lead. Hope you were blessed this past week. Um, just asking yourself that question, is God with me? No matter what you come up against, no matter the Jordan that you're faced with crossing, just asking the question, is God with me? Making sure, because that is the primary question, the most important question that we can ask. And as I begin speaking this morning, I would like to invite his presence again to speak in a special way to our hearts. As I begin this uh, prayer, I'll leave a time of silence for you just to invite God to speak to your heart. Just in the silence of your own heart, just ask him through the power of his Holy Spirit to speak to you in a special way this morning. Father, we're here because we believe. We believe in Jesus Christ who has come and died to save us from our sins so that we could be connected with you. We're here because we believe that when two or three of us meet together in your name, that you are right here in the midst of us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're here because we need to hear from you. We need our hearts to be transformed. And so we invite you to speak to our hearts. Thank you so much for hearing our prayers. Lord, Apart from you, we can do nothing. But with God, all things are possible. We ask that your word would speak to us in a powerful way this morning, that we would be transformed by it, and that we would walk out this week to live a whole new life. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. It's amazing to read about moms to read about all that moms are willing to go through. Stephanie Decker was in the Midwest. I believe it was in Indiana. This was 2012, March of 2012, when things began to get rather stormy, similar to how they've been over the past few days. And as she was hearing the severe weather alerts, she began to get nervous about her family. Her husband was off at school teaching algebra, and she was there with the two kids at home and just watching out for the kids, and things began to get really stormy. She began to text message her husband saying, I think that the tornado is heading directly towards our town, directly towards our house. And he said, well, please take them down into the walkout basement downstairs. We don't have many basements out here in California, but she took the two kids down into the basement. She wrapped them up in blankets But as she was looking out the windows of the the walkout basement downstairs, she saw it coming across her property, a tornado coming directly across their 15-acre property. And as she saw that tornado bearing down on their house, she did what only a mother might know to do. And that was to take those two kids, to put them down in the corner, and to shield them with her own body. Stephanie just hugged her kids and she laid over the top of them. The tornado went right over the house. There was all kinds of shaking and violent uh, crashing into the house around them. And when the tornado was gone, she she cried out to her kids. She said, "Are, are you okay? 
First she heard her daughter, yes, I'm, I'm fine, mom. Then she heard her son a little bit later. He was so startled by it all. He said, yes, I'm okay too, mom. But Stephanie, Stephanie lost one leg um, from the knee down and she lost the other uh, from the ankle down. Stephanie paid an incredible sacrifice just to save her two kids. There's something about the love of a mother. You know, she said she's never regretted it. She's been completely satisfied just knowing that she saved the lives of her two kids, that she was able to hang on to them and not let them be ripped out of that house. It was worth it to her to save her kids. That's the love of a mother. And it doesn't just have to be the love of a mother. Uh, Some of you, uh, God has given people in your life that you have loved like a mother loves a child. Uh, And thank you for that. Thank you for the ways that you have loved. But I can never quite understand or grasp what a mother has done. (laughs) Um, When it comes to Mother's Day, it's an exciting day to celebrate our mothers. It's an exciting day to recognize our moms. But something I've never quite understood is why, when it's my birthday, does everybody celebrate me? (laughs) When February 11 comes around, everybody begins to celebrate the birth of Zach Page. And I think to myself, you should be celebrating my mother right now. Do you realize that on February 11, 1985, that my mother went through some incredible pain in order to bring me into this world? Something that I will never grasp, something that I will never fully understand is what she went through to bring me here. Labor pain is something that that men can't really grasp. It's something that I read on average can take at least eight hours, but more sometimes like 18 hours, or even it can last 40 hours or more than that, depending on how it goes. Labor pain is incredibly painful. But what did Terrence just read to us? And moms, you'll have to tell me about the truth of this in your own experience. But Jesus said in John chapter 14, if you missed it, go there with me to John chapter 16. In verse 19 is where he started reading for us. Jesus is talking to his disciples about leaving, that he's going to be taken away from them. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be laid in the grave. And in verse 20, he says this. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. Is that true, mothers? She has sorrow because her hour has come when she's in labor. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Maybe there's not a complete forgetting of everything, but it's worth it to have that child. It's worth it because you love that child, because you have brought another life into existence, and the love that you have for that child leads many women to go through this process more than once. I don't know if if it were me, if I would have more than one child with all the pain that goes with it. But mothers are willing to go through this again and again because of the love that they have for their children. I owe my life to my mom many times over. From the time I've been little, my mom has been watching out for me. Not only am I physically standing here because she was willing to go through labor pains, 
But I'm here today because again and again in my life, she stepped in to save me from impending danger. I remember when I was three or four years old and I was playing by the creek. And as I was playing in the creek, I threw a stick in the water. And the creek began to take it away too fast. And in my three or four-year-old mind, I thought, I have to save this stick. And so I dove into the water and I had no idea how to swim. Well, it wasn't but a few seconds and my mom's hand grabbed the back of my shirt and pulled me out of the water. And all I could say was, Mommy, I drowned Mommy, I drowned <laughs> And I really could have drowned. It was a pretty swift-moving creek or river. My mom has saved my life again and again. Again and again, she's given me advice that is, has seen me through tough circumstances. She's given me advice that would have saved me from a lot of pain. She's given me advice that's kept me healthy, that's kept me strong, that's kept me from getting diseases and all kinds of difficulties I could go through in my life. I'm so thankful for my mom, as I'm sure that you're thankful for your mom and how she's seen you through many different things when you were growing up. We can be so thankful for our mothers. But you know, in the Bible, we read about a mother who had an intense concern for her daughter. It was altogether beyond this physical concern. It was beyond just her safety. Go with me to Matthew chapter 15. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus has just finished his ministry in Galilee, and he's again being rejected. He's again being pushed away. So in Matthew chapter 15, it tells us that Jesus departs from Galilee. We're going to go to verse 21 of Matthew 15. It says, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. This is an amazing cry of faith from this totally heathen Canaanite who we, as far as we know, has no connection to the true God. She's here and she finds out about Jesus and she cries out, Son of David, have mercy. This is a cry of faith, a cry saying, you are the king. To say that you are the son of David, you're the son of King David, is to cry out in faith to Jesus. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. This lady isn't worried about her daughter's physical health. She's not crying out to Jesus saying, would you heal her from this disease or that disease? You know, so often that is what is primary in our concerns for people. We are so quick if somebody's sick that we want to pray for them. We want to do everything possible to see them get well. What about when spiritually they're sick? You know, when we see, if, if we were to look out this window and we saw a child fall into that water fountain out there, I imagine that we would immediately dash out there. We would recognize the incredible danger. We would be doing anything possible to save that child. So how about the spiritual danger that goes on in a child's life? How about the real battle that goes on that we see in the Bible about, like this lady's dealing with, demon possession, dealing with an incredible danger to her daughter. She recognizes the spiritual warfare that's going on, and she cries out to the only person who can save her child, and that is Jesus. She says, Jesus, have mercy on my daughter, for she is demon-possessed. We continue reading verse 23. But he answered her not a word. What do you do 
when you cry out for your kid. When you're crying out for that person that you see that they're in danger, you see that they're going through something, you see that they're being attacked, and you say, God, why aren't you answering? Why don't you hear me? God, I'm crying out to you. I want to see you come through for them. What's going on? Jesus doesn't answer her a word. Some of us, myself included, I might think, well, maybe Jesus just didn't want to heal today. Maybe this just is a bad day for Jesus. But this woman knew who Jesus was. She had faith in Jesus. She believed that Jesus was good and that Jesus wanted to heal her daughter. And so she doesn't give up. His disciples, the verse continues, came and urged him saying, send her away for she cries out after us. Jesus is trying to teach them a lesson. They all believe that this is a heathen woman who doesn't believe in God. She doesn't deserve healing. She doesn't deserve to be there. She shouldn't be coming to Jesus. And Jesus is allowing them to play out some of their emotions. Verse 24, but he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In saying this, he's not saying that she isn't one of the lost sheep of the house of Israel because the disciples should have known what it said that they were to be a light to the Gentiles. And so the disciples should have recognized that this was a lost sheep, one that they were responsible to be reaching out to. They weren't responsible just to stay in their own cloistered area and watch out for their own people. They were responsible to go out and to reach all the Gentiles, to reach all of these apparently heathen people that they had rejected. Verse 25, then she came and worshipped him. Here is a woman who is refusing to give up. She sees the danger that her daughter's in and she says, I am not giving up, even though he doesn't answer me a word at first. Even though he says this statement that sounds like it's playing right into what the disciples are saying. It sounds like I shouldn't be here. It sounds like Jesus isn't here to help me. I am still pressing my request to Jesus. I'm still asking Jesus for help. I still believe that Jesus is going to help my daughter. And he continues, she continues to cry out to Jesus. She worships him saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. I wish at this point that we could hear the tone of Jesus' voice. I wish that we could see the look on his face because there was something that this woman caught as she looked at Jesus. She knew that he was saying these things in representation of what the Jews believed, that he was saying these things as a a test of this woman's faith. But she knew that Jesus wanted to heal her daughter and she refused to give up. When I'm praying for somebody, when I don't see God answer, When it seems like he's saying no, when it seems like he's saying I can't get through to this one, this one's too tough of a case for me. I got to keep pressing that petition. I've got to keep going to Jesus, believing that he will answer, that he wants to come through in that situation. Look at what this woman answers. This is an incredible answer. Verse 27. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall. From their master's table. Jesus, just a crumb is enough for me. I don't have to have everything. Jesus, I just need a little bit of what you have. You have all that I need. Just give me a crumb, Jesus. This woman's faith was dogged. It was a faith that refused 
to let go. It was a faith that continued to press to Jesus, knowing the goodness of Jesus, knowing that Jesus wanted to bless her. She refused to give up. And look at how Jesus responds. Verse 28, Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. Remember last week we talked about how Jesus often gives people exactly what they expect of him. And here you have it. He says, be it done to you as you desire. You desire this healing and it's obvious that you're not giving up, that you're going to keep petitioning me, that you're not going to stop coming to me until I answer. And so be it done to you according to your desire. Oftentimes, we may not recognize the spiritual danger that comes to a child. Growing up, I had every excuse possible to live a Christian life, to never walk away from church. I grew up in a pastor's house. I grew up with a mom who stayed home to watch out for me. She sacrificed her career to be there for my brother and I. So thankful for moms and what they're willing to do for their kids. My mom uh, taught me about Jesus. She would have worship with me morning and evening. My dad would be there and have worship with me. I'm so thankful for godly parents. But do you know that just because you're a godly parent doesn't mean that that child is limited from freedom of choice? If, if you question, well, how, how could this child have walked away? Apparently, I must have done something wrong. Or that family must have done something wrong in order for that child to walk away. Not always true. If you think that way, think about Lucifer. Lucifer was placed in the perfect environment. He was placed the closest possible to the Father. He was seeing all of God's goodness, and yet he chose to walk away. Adam and Eve were placed in a, a garden. They were given the goodness of God, and yet they chose to walk away. You have Cain and Abel. One chooses to stay and one chooses to rebel. You see it throughout the Bible that there is still the freedom of choice. And unfortunately, I exercised that freedom of choice. As I got a little older, I began to look for more and more freedom. I began to press those boundaries, those healthy boundaries that that my mom and dad had given to me. They told me not to go to certain places, but I decided that I wanted to go to those places. They told me not to try certain substances, but I decided to to start dabbling, to start trying to have a fun time along with my friends in high school. And little by little, I began to break my parents' hearts. You know, I can only imagine what goes through a mother's heart. To look at her son and to see him choosing to inflict such harm in his own life. To choose to go to parties and drink and to, to end up in a messed up situation because of his own foolishness, his own rebelliousness. I can only imagine how that breaks the heart of a mother. And at that point, my mom and dad had a choice. Do they just give up on me or do they press their petition? They dedicated me as a child. They'd raised me in Adventist schools. They, they had chosen for me to live a godly life, but I had chosen to reject it. I'd chosen to go my own way. I'd chosen to live the life that I wanted to live. But they weren't giving up. They continued to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, we dedicated Zach to you. Jesus, do whatever it takes to save Zach. 
And not only were they praying for me, but they were getting as many other people as possible praying for me. After I went off and I got into a relationship that they were not excited about, they were praying that God would work even through that situation. And God did work in some ways. He, he brought me out of some of the life of partying as I went off to college. And, but I was still in this unhealthy relationship that, that had a lot of negative things in it. And they still knew that they needed to be pleading with God for my salvation. And so they would pray on. And some of you were those that they asked to pray. And I thank you so much for the prayers that you prayed for me. I would not be standing here today except for the prayers that you have prayed. Except for the prayers that my parents have prayed. Because they recognize something. They recognize that 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 first birth isn't enough to bring a child to eternal salvation. There's a second birth that has to take place. You know, when Nicodemus came to Jesus in that night encounter in John chapter 3, and he comes and he says, Jesus, I see all of these amazing things that you're doing. Clearly, we know that you must be from God. And Jesus says something astounding to him in John chapter 3. He says, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you have been born again. Nicodemus is thinking, how is this possible? I can't be born again. Can I crawl back inside of my mother? And Jesus says, unless you're born of both the water and the spirit. I'd been baptized, but my parents recognized in my life that I was blind to what was going on. I was totally ignorant to the choices that I was making and how they were alienating me from God. And they recognized that what I really needed in my life was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. My mom tells about how she would take Isaiah chapter 44, verses 3 and 4. In the morning, she would be praying. She lifts us up in prayer each morning. I encourage you to lift your kids up. Thank you for you mothers that are doing that. And I know that many of us are here today because we have praying mothers, because of all the prayers that have been prayed for us. Every morning in Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 3, she would claim this promise. For I am the Lord your God. She would place her finger on it. The Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt, sorry, this is, I'm in chapter 3, 43. Sorry, verse 3 of chapter 44. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants. She'd put her finger on it and she'd say, God, you promised, pour out your spirit on my descendant. Pour out your spirit on Zach. He's blind. He doesn't realize what he's doing. Do whatever it takes to save him and my blessing on your offspring. They will spring up among the grass like willows by the water courses. And as she prayed for me day in and day out, she even began to fast one day a week earnestly crying out to God, you've got to save Zach. You've got to come to his life. You've got to make a difference in his life. I'm only here today because of those prayers that my mom and dad and those that they got praying for me. Because a lot of times people have one individual who came into their life and did something that they recognized led them to Jesus. I don't have anything like that. All I know is that I was going to La Sierra, and I was totally focused on the world. I was totally focused on my ambitions and doing what I wanted to do when suddenly something began to stir in my heart. The Spirit began to influence my life, and I began to recognize that I wasn't happy 
That this life was miserable. You know that my parents actually prayed for me to be miserable? That's an okay prayer to pray. In fact, there's a psalm where the psalmist uh, says, fill their face with shame in order that they may seek your face. If you need to pray that prayer, pray that prayer for your child. May it be through blessings, but if it takes it, then pray for them to be miserable until they turn to Jesus. Because Jesus won't come and he won't change their decisions. He won't force them to make a decision, but he can put obstacles in their life. He can hedge their way up. He can put all kinds of circumstances in their life that will lead them to the point where they're willing to come to Jesus, where they recognize this is tough. Not being with God is a terrible thing. I want to come closer to God. And I knew from my upbringing that I was missing something and that I could have something if I only took the time to seek God. And I've told you how I began to read the Bible each morning. And as I began to read the Bible, the Spirit used that to totally change my life. And I began to actually pray a prayer myself. I I began to have it laid on my heart. Lord, okay, I know that this relationship isn't right. I know that I shouldn't be in the situation that I'm in. But God, I don't know how to get out of it. I've been in this relationship for three years, and I don't know how to put an end to it. That would be just wrong of me. We've invested so much in this. We're planning to get married. I don't know how to get out of this. God began to lay it on my heart to pray that that relationship would come to an end, if it wasn't his will. And I thought that was a safe prayer to pray, because I thought, well, God's not going to come in and just break up this relationship, would he? It's, it, I don't even see how it's possible. She's asking to marry me. She wants to know when I'm going to ask her to marry her. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that this is a safe relationship. Well, don't underestimate God and his ability to answer your prayers as a parent or your prayers if you're in a relationship that's harmful. God is a prayer-hearing God. And God showed up in my life that summer. I got a phone call, and like I told you before, the relationship came to an end. And it was at that moment when I hit rock bottom that I recognized I have a choice. I feel empty. I feel like I've lost everything that I've invested my life into. I feel just totally broken right now. I remember waking up in the middle of the night so distressed that I I I was physically sick to my stomach and I had to go straight to the bathroom and throw up in the toilet because I was just, I was torn up inside. I was heartbroken. But it was in that heartbreak that Jesus stepped in and became my true love. It was through that whole situation that God was able to step in and to point me in the right direction. And God wants to do that in every one of your children's lives, in every one of your grandchildren's lives, in every one of those people's in your life that you recognize that they have a need for Jesus, that you recognize that they need to be born again. Jesus tells us that for a mother to labor is sorrowful, but in the end there is joy when a child is brought forth. It's the same thing when it comes to earnestly praying for somebody. It has to be that love that drives us to pray. We see this in Jesus' own example. If you go to Luke chapter 23, Jesus, when he was at his greatest point of agony, when your sins were being pressed down on him, my sins were being pressed down on him, he was tempted to give up. 
sorry, Luke chapter 22 and verse 44. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. And it says this, and being in agony. Jesus was in the most incredible agony we could ever imagine. The sins of the world were being pressed down upon him. It was crushing the very life out of Jesus. And he's wondering, should I go through with it? Should I ask for this cup to pass from me? But look at how he responded. Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Friends, when your heart is breaking because of that person who's walking away from Jesus, follow Jesus' example. Being in agony, it breaks the heart to see a loved one walk away from Jesus. Let that heartbreak, that agony, lead you to pray more earnestly. Because we serve a God who hears prayer, who answers prayer, and who wants to work in that situation. He's just waiting for us to cry out to him. And he will step in. Jesus gives us the example, when we're in agony, to cry out, to pray more earnestly. And he will answer. There's an incredible promise in Isaiah chapter 66. It talks about the church in Isaiah chapter 66 in verse 8. It says, who has heard of such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? Sometimes we get impatient. We wonder why is it taking so long? Why isn't God stepping in faster? God is working. He's working in the perfect way possible, in the best possible way. Verse 8 continues, Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor. Who's Zion? That's the spiritual followers of God. That's the church. As soon as Zion was in labor. It takes anguish. It takes being earnest about seeking the salvation of someone. It takes earnest prayer. As soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. As a church, God is calling us to earnest prayer for our young people. As we look around these pews, I've heard it from a lot of you, we might say, there should be more young people here. There could be more kids here in this church. There could be more college-age kids here. There could be more young adults here. Where is this generation? God's calling us. When we recognize that, when we feel that burden on our heart, that is a call to earnest prayer. Agony is a call to earnest prayer. That love that we have for people leads us to pray in a way that we couldn't pray otherwise. You know, a mother can pray for a child more effectively than most anyone else because they love that child so much. And the love that we have for the young people should lead us to pray earnestly for them. We have the example in history, um, in Testimonies, Volume 5, it tells us about the mother of Augustine. Now, Augustine became a great church leader in the 3rd century after Christ. He was an incredible leader for the Christian church, did a lot of things, um, and then a lot of things that we may not agree with, but God did use him in many ways in the Christian church. But in Testimonies, Volume 5, it says this, He is pleased with the faith that takes him at his word. The mother of Augustine prayed for her son's conversion. She saw no evidence that the Spirit of God was impressing his heart. 
But she was not discouraged. Just like that woman coming to Jesus, she sees no answer. She says, "Where I don't see that prayer is making any difference. I don't see why I should keep on praying. It's not making a difference. I don't see that the Spirit is working in Augustine's life. She laid her finger upon the text, presenting before God his own words, and pleaded as only a mother can. Her deep humiliation, her earnest importunities, her unwavering faith prevailed, and the Lord gave her the desire of her heart. Augustine became a great leader for the Christian church because of one mother who would not give up, who continued to lay her finger on the promise and say, God, baptize my son with the Holy Spirit. God, work in my son's life. Save young Augustine. And God came through for Augustine. Then this promise follows. Today, he is just as ready to listen to the petitions of his people. His hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. And if Christian parents seek him earnestly, he will fill their mouths with arguments and for his namesake will work mightily in their behalf of the conversion of their children. We find this in from the book Eternity Past. In the solemn day of accounts, that's the judgment day, it will be found that many, that many who have blessed the world with the light of genius and truth and holiness owe their success to a praying mother. Thank you, mothers, for the prayers that you have prayed for us kids. Let's keep praying. Let's pray more earnestly. And each and every one of us have the odd opportunity of spiritually having the role of a mother in a child's life. Because we can pray for them to have a rebirth. We can pray for them to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, to have their eyes open so that they can discern spiritual things. We can pray for them to be born again. I'd like to close this morning by actually taking some time to pray together. I believe that God is laying on someone's heart this morning to especially pray for the young people of our community. Maybe it's for our school. Maybe it's for our Sabbath schools. Maybe it's for the kids specifically in your own family. I know that God is working on your hearts, calling you to prayer. And maybe God is going to lead you to set up a weekly prayer group that'll meet maybe over the phone. You could have a conference call on Sunday mornings. Or maybe it's going to be that you'll come physically to the church and you'll, you'll pray together interceding for your lost children. God's going to lead you in how to pray. And I really want to encourage you, if you feel God tugging on your heart to start a prayer group like that, don't hesitate. Do it. Start a group and we can help you call people together to pray on a weekly basis. But I don't want to leave this morning uh, having looked at the Word of God, having seen the power of prayer. I don't want to walk out of here without taking some time in prayer. I believe that each of you has somebody on your hearts that God has laid on your heart that you want to see them saved. Maybe it's not your own child, but maybe it's somebody that you love like a child. Or maybe it's just somebody that, that you really want to see God work in their lives. So before we sing our closing hymn. I'd like you to get together in groups of three or four. Or if you're not comfortable with that, feel free to pray on your own in the pew. But we're going to just pray for just a couple of minutes before we sing our closing hymn. We're going to plead with God for the salvation of others because God has promised that when we ask, we will receive, that he will pour out his spirit on our descendants. In Isaiah 49, 25, he says, I will contend with him who contends with you. I will save your children.
proclaim the promise of the word of God.